turn it's got me bleeding a certain kind of feeling ah, but I can never leave it good God I know I need it Hey everybody, I'm here with, uh, with Gavi Strauss again. This is the third dialogue that we've had around these questions of spirituality and embodiment and what I call the enrealment method and how that's different from patriarchal spiritual structures. Um, let me just start by reading Gavi's bio and then, bi- and then Gavi's going to take over and initiate the conversation. Gabrielle Strauss is a spiritual counselor and relationship coach who supports people in the somatic process of healing the barriers to accessing and actualizing their life vision. Gabrielle works with his clients on meeting personal traumas, woundings, and daily challenges of life as sacred opportunities for healing and growth. A former spiritual bypasser, Gabrielle is intimately acquainted with the paths of transcendence and pseudo-enlightenment used by many to escape the pain of their younger years and early attachment woundings. Gavriel now devotes much of his life to illuminating a path and process of integration and balance that honors all aspects of self, life, and interpersonal dynamics as sacred. He lives with his wife and two daughters in beautiful British Columbia. You can find out more about Gavi on his website, www.gavrielstrauss.com. That's G-A-V-R-I-E-L. S-T-R-A-U-S-S dot com. Gavi offers free 30-minute intro calls to those interested in working with him. And I've sent many people to him and they love him, just so you know. Take it away, Gavi. All right. Thanks, Jeff. It's such an honor to be here. I'm so excited for this conversation. We got a lot to talk about. We got a lot to talk about. Yeah. So the way I kind of set this up is to that we would we'd hit on some major topics here. The the old patriarchal model. This alchemical model that's talked about in the forward to your book, Grounded Spirituality, and then an enrealment method, a new model, a grounded spiritual model. And within that, like, we'll hit on some pretty heavy topics, like what is enlightenment, Eastern practices of transcendence, yoga, Buddhism, the demonized ego, self, and uh, story. Yeah. sacred purpose, spiritual maturity, and wonderful other powerful topics, personal collective trauma, and a bunch more. So, yeah, I wanted to start with uh, this old patriarchal model. Like, what, 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 what is this thing? And <laughs> Well, I mean, I think what I experienced was I started really with psychology. That was my thing. So I accessed my experience of spirit really through ultimately through somatic psychology practices like bioenergetics and breath, holotropic breathwork. And so when I then entered into this arena of what is spirituality, which in many ways started for me with making Carmageddon about my dynamic with Bhagavan Das, um, I was just perplexed about what they were talking about because in sessions I did with Alexander Lowen, who was my bioenergetic therapist for a while, and in holotropic breathwork experiences, including with Stan Groff, What I found is that the more deeply I went deep inside of my story, the more deeply I cleared emotional debris that I was holding, the more I went somatically inside of the experience of spirit, 
that at the end of those very intense release experiences, I felt like I was in a meditative state connected to a more unified field. So for me, all of that really happened through the body, through the story, through the feelings, and, you know, and in the development as part of that of a healthy ego, a strong, sturdy sense of self. So for me, my story was my glory. And then I entered into this so-called spiritual realm. And, you know, it took time for me to make sense of it. Because I would say to Al Lowe, and I remember the last session, I said, what are they talking about, Al, about spirituality? I don't get it. And, and he said, oh, he thought it was sort of silly. He said, you just go down into your body, you clear your lines, you get grounded and solid and present, and you become spirited, that spirituality. And I was like, yeah, that really resonated with my experience. Before I went into a session with him, I would feel kind of disconnected from a more unified experience of reality. I was in my localized anxiety and so forth. And then after a session, sometimes I would feel very connected to my localized experience. You know, we just honored my body and my story for an hour. We didn't dishonor it in order to find some awakening. We found it, the awakening, in the sleeping body. And then I would leave a session and feel very grounded and earthbound and connected and heart-centered, and at the same time, having a different experience of a unified field than before I went in. So that was it for me. And then I started to hang out with Bhagavan and Ram Dass and all the various characters along the way. And it seemed very clear to me that they were really what they were calling spirituality was this bifurcated experience where humanists and spirituality were on two different experiences altogether. And it seemed like it was essential for these men in particular to diss the body to dissociate from their story, to dissociate from their feelings, to bash the egoic self in order to find something they called, ironically, self-realization. Their experience of self-realization was completely bereft of the localized self. It was like this amorphous, absolute self thing that they, I think, found relief swimming in, but that really wasn't a transformative process. You know, they... It's almost like they found a drug trip, a way to get out of here. So Bhagavan was a great example. You know, he would be kirtan and doing chant, and I loved his chant. But I realized always after the chant, he couldn't find his shoes. And I always knew where my shoes were. I was so grounded after the chant because I went deep in the body, cleared emotional holdings, you know, cleared stuff out. My digestion opened back up again. I felt really here in the body. And he would just be floating away, you know, making moves on, on various women and, you know, not able to find his shoes. And I was like, okay, so there's a, something different is happening here. I'm using the chant to get inside of my life experience, and he's using his ch chant to get out of here. And eventually, it just became clear to me that almost everything that we've been told is spirituality by the men of the world and Eastern men of the world is really a dissociated practice that has nothing to do with my view of what spirituality is, which is spirituality as reality, which means that you're more spiritual the more in touch you are with all elements of reality, not just the ones that feel comfortable. What, what would you think is like the purpose of, the, of this old patriarchal spiritual model? Like what, what, what is the purpose or the goal? Well, I mean, I have to think so much of it was birthed in horribly difficult circumstances, you know, terrible poverty and warlike war environments and, you know, just very inhumane experiences so that it became this wonderful path of relief that was confused, as confused with resolution. 
So that it was almost like it's a survivalist construct as opposed to an authentic one. The idea was ironically to define enlightenment as the thing that allowed you to get through the challenges of reality by completely pretending they don't exist anymore. So in sociological terms, I think it was probably a necessity for that to happen. There's a reason why men, as many women will tell you, have continually chosen to engage the world in a way that disconnects them from their emotional body. It was necessary, probably, for many, many centuries to experience reality in that split or bifurcated way. But I think now that we're coming back to Earth a little bit more and probably getting safer I mean, it's hard in a pandemic to feel completely safe, but there's a way in which we feel safer in Western society. Now we can come back and go, well, wait a minute. Why does Eastern spirituality, you know, define enlightenment for us when there's a sociology that motivated that particular philosophy? So in Soul Shaping, I, what I described was beginning to describe a more integrated way of being. I called it Western consciousness. It was like a bridge between the wisdom of the East, you know, like to remember there's a more expansive field of consciousness, but to lodge that in the healthy, grounded, earthy self-concept and wisdom of the West and the psychotherapeutic work in the West. And, and to me, that's really the direction to go. And, you know, I would read a lot of those books, like the books written by old Indian, dead old Indian guru men. And Every single one of these books was saying the same thing. It was all disembodied patriarchal spirituality. If you look closely, if we sat and analyzed any one of these texts, even the ones that appear to be more integrated, we would see that, in fact, they aren't integrated at all. They are defining awakening as something that's dissociated from the human experience. How are they defining it? Well, I think, you know, self-realization, you know, what they call self-realization, really, if you look closely is really, it's almost as though there's a, the, the view that carries forward through most of it is that your localized self, the stories of your life, the emotional experience that you're still carrying through and forward in your life, even your embodied experience in this toxic body beast the yoga movement was trying to clean up and get away from, you really look close at it. It really is the idea that self-realization is about reaching a stage where you are swimming in this absolute self or transcendent field. And that that really is Brahman or that that really is Nirvana or that really is the place of liberation. And in a way, you know, my belief is in a way it kind of gives up on the human experience. It's almost like it's very defeatist. It's saying in, inherently saying if you want to you want to really awaken you have to become less of a human in the world and i seem to find most of my most integrated expansive embodied alive spirited moments inside of the world so i didn't relate to that i didn't relate to the eckhart tolle inversion of becoming sort of robotic and you know in the meditation stupor 12 hours a day and calling that enlightenment to me that just seemed like self-avoidance that was masquerading as enlightenment and right. i just hadn't given up on the human experience yet right so meditation in that in that regard is the is the practice to transcend all the discomfort of this world down here yeah and, that, and that's called awakening and and when i would see listen to tole talk i called him dead hard tole you know when i would see him talk i just felt like this guy's in a coma you know, and I would read his story at the beginning of Power Now, a book I call The Power of Self-Avoidance. And and I was like, I didn't buy his story about how he was suicidal and then had something happen in the night one night and woke up enlightened for two years smiling on a you know, you know, a state of bliss on a Canadian park bench. I was like, Really? 
I mean, all that trauma that's held in that body of yours, emotional and physical body, evaporated. And so in my world, that's called dissociation. It's not called transformation. So, you know, I think what we really need, and it's very clear this isn't working on a species-wide level to have billions of people dissociating and think that's awakening. We need the energy of everybody here to fix this, to fix what's going on on this earth ship. And so I think it's, it's essential to critically review these teachings, but it's also essential to try to craft a new model that's grounded, alchemical, and integrated um, going forward. Yeah. Yes. And that's our work, right? That's our work, and that's where we're going. So this place, that place, I want to, I want to, I really want to put a strong definition on that because I want to bring it back later on. But like that place of up and out, right? This bliss realm of unity consciousness where so-called unity consciousness, so-called unity, so-called non-duality. It's ironic that they call it unity consciousness, non-duality, but they've removed the humanness, the story, the body, the ego, the identifications from the equation. So we could call it faux unity consciousness, but yes, continue. Yeah. So that place, yeah, everything melts away and you are that. You, I mean, did you? You are that, you are that too. You are that too. Did you like have those personal experiences when when you were, you know? Sure. Back in the day, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You Are That Too was my favorite thing. I love that. Tatuama Sea, I think it was. I love that. It was it was fantastic. But for me, when I went there, it was not hard for me to go there. It's so funny that a lot of them, if you push up against it, they say, well, you just haven't been there. It never occurs to them that maybe you've been there and you've realized it was bullshit and you've decided you want to come back and integrate it. So I could go there independent of relational experience and independent of embodiment experience. I could meditate for enough hours and go to that place, but I just felt like I was just floating into nothingness. I didn't find it. Maybe I wasn't in quite enough pain to find the kind of relief that they need to call awakening. I didn't find it so unpleasant down here, you know, that I had to find my nirvana outside of this place of living in my body. Yeah, but so I had those experiences, but I ultimately felt like I would then crash back down to earth because I couldn't integrate those experiences with my daily life, with my relational life, with my economic challenges, with all of those things. So I felt like I was really a split, just split. I was like a bird with one wing that ultimately life would crash me back down to earth again. Same thing on my end. Right. So tell maybe say a little bit more about that. I was thinking about it a bunch because... um... I think for me, it was a lot about, you know, I was in my, I was just 20, uh, 19 and 20 when I, when I got into that whole spiritual realm of, of practice before that I was brought up in an Orthodox Jewish home and community, which had its own thing. Um, but for me, I was really, one was like the hunt for this thing called ultimate truth. That was like, it, it encompassed everyone. It wasn't just localized to one religion, but it, it encompassed all of humanity. And then like the, the, some of the other sides were just like this, this deep confusion about life and about where I was going, if I was going to have what it takes to make it in this world and figure out an occupation that didn't suck the life out of me like it did to my parents. And there's a lot of fear and confusion about the future. And just the longing for something to 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 anchor into that that could 
like support me and hold me through this and making sense of this whole construct I had as a religious Jew, which was God and God's will and why we're here and how you, you know, how are you in alignment with that or not in alignment with that. So several different motivating factors. And also, as we've talked about in other, other interviews that, uh, getting away from the, you know, the pain in my heart from, from my childhood and uh, attachment issues there. But yeah, so it was like this, you know, first came on through, through, you know, through pot use and, and accessing some other uh, dimension of reality of, of seeing the world actually, you know, and that the whole Plato's cave analogy was so strong for me then it was like, not just seeing the the image of the tree, the word the tree, but actually this being, you know, and getting out out of the boxes that I was kind of locked into in terms of identity, in terms of how I how I interpreted the world around me, and and expanding. It was literally it was expanding my consciousness to 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 see things um, in a new and different way, without all the labels attached to them, but more of like this place of mystery like where are we what is this place like how do i like navigate it was more the physical realm it was less around relationships but then it got into the whole ego tripping thing because i was that was really the the big thing with um with eastern philosophy was that the ego was in the way it was the barrier to this place of unity Faux unity consciousness, where you became one with the divine, where you became, you know, the ultimate self of God. But same for me. That that, that when 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 I came down, as much as I tried to kind of stay in it, it was it wasn't possible to, you know, I would have I would have not gone back to school. I would have not graduated college. I would have had no money and just kind of lived uh, on the backs of others. Um, you could have sat on a park bench beside Eckhart Tolle for two years, not worked in any particular way and imagined yourself a great spiritual teacher and an enlightened master and all the rest of it. Yeah. Oh yeah. People probably would have come and yeah. sat at my feet at some point. Then you could write a book and you know, that basically packages old style Buddhism and pretend it's something new and interesting. And it happens to hit the market at the right moment when people are a little tired of their neurosis and want to have a more expansive, allegedly expansive experience. And, and then we can all pretend that that's what awakening looks like. Right. Right. But let's, let's not, um, let's not discount the piece of the, uh, getting out of that locked confined space of how <clears throat> we see ourselves or how, you know, the, the, the confinement of the, the ego, right? The confinement. I don't know if it's the ego that's confining us. I mean, I think we're at a certain stage developmentally, individually and collectively that confines us. I don't know that the ego has got anything to do with it. I, I think that we're just at certain condition stages and the, my prayer is that we can move beyond these stages um, without destroying ourselves as a species. See, I think for me, the, the key distinction, and maybe this is more of what we will talk about a little later, but is that I'm not opposed, remotely opposed to the idea of entering into something called the more expansive consciousness. But for me, it has to come from the bottom up. And if it doesn't come from the bottom up, 
then to me, it's a flight of fancy. It can be a very helpful glimpse to know that you are something more than even I'm not even so comfortable with that, but say for the moment, something more than your habitual framework of perception. Sure. But my feeling is the only way we're going to live actual lives, lives as individuals and as a collective and save our species is if we come to that place, whatever that place is from the ground up. And I think it's a completely, not just because coming from the top down, jumping up and out is not sustainable. That's the most obvious first level criticism. But because I believe you're not actually accessing this thing called unity consciousness or an expansive consciousness in really an accurate experiential way, if you're not coming through an integrated experience of the self. I think you're, you're having a glimpse of something from a fragmented self that's very different from arriving at whatever that something is from a very solid, alchemically rooted and integrated place. And I, I feel like this is the most important part of my work with grounded spirituality is to say that. And, and I think when you arrive there, maybe we'll read the Andrew quote at some point because it kind of speaks to this a little bit. I feel as though you probably no longer think about, and I'll speak from my experience in those moments, I no longer think about this expansive, I don't even think about it, of it as expansive. I feel like it's just something that flows directly from a much deeper rooted understanding of reality and is no longer about heightened consciousness, which is patriarchal spiritual construct. It's not about rising above. It's not about higher than. It becomes really a very horizontal experience because you've actually reached the stage where you can find your awakening here amongst all of us and amongst the forests and amongst the human experience and within your own body and your own heart as an integrated construct rather than one that's fractured and fragmented and trauma avoidant, all the rest of it. So I feel like the reason this work matters is that our whole lens on the entirety of reality is different. If we are actually focused on doing the work within the self to heal this self, to heal the ancestral trauma, to heal the individual trauma, and to get really awake right down here inside of this brilliant, magnificent, I have so much regard for the human container, for the human body, for the localized self, for the soul's journey that's held within the self. I got no time to go jump to some bullshit absolute self when there's so much work to be done down here. And I'm pretty convinced that the better I get oriented down here, the more clarified my vision of this whole question of what is enlightenment. It just becomes a whole different kind of a question, maybe what I would call enrealment. So that's it. I've, and, and I know this because I've encountered so many of these so-called enlightened masters who were, in my view, energetically and behaviorally completely dissociated. It's no accident. Almost every one of them who I talked to making Carmageddon, and almost always men would say, I would say, how can you claim to be enlightened when you're completely immoral behaviorally? And they would all say the same thing. Like it was so obvious to them. It was so interesting. They'd say, ah, enlightenment and morality have nothing to do with each other. Enlightenment comes to who it comes to. I thought, well, that's convenient. Yeah. 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 Yeah, before we get to before we get to the the alchemical model, um, another question too about the this old model, which is 
Like what, what is your sense of like, what the future, like what's this like, okay. So we say that the purpose is to get enlightened and then enlightenment is the absolute self, no ego, no identity, drop the story. What, what, what kind of world is that? Like it's, it's a dissociated world where nobody thinks that anything that's happening to and within the species is a, is an issue because it's not real where traumatizing each other doesn't really matter because that's just a victimhood story after all. I mean, if you really look at the implications of these dissociated patriarchal models, we're basically become a species that's on the road to ruin because nothing's taken seriously that's happening on the earth plane. The most enlightened one is the one who leaves society to sit in a cave for 30 years and the women of the village come and bow before him and bring him milk. It's preposterous and very convenient and silly. Um, and, you know, it's that movie 2012, right, with John Cusack, the poster with the, the waters coming over the mountains to kill them. But they're all sort of up on the top of the mountain, sort of in meditative repose as though somehow what's coming their way isn't real. And and that's true with the forest burning. And that's true with all of it. So. If our spirituality doesn't integrate the reality of the human experience as part of the sacred field, we're doomed. We're doomed. Okay, let's let's look at this alchemical model because I think it actually is different from the grounded model. I think it's it's actually a different model because the alchemical model. You want me to read the the quote from Grounded? I can, or you can. Sure. Yeah. Go ahead. So this is from Andrew Harvey's book Forward and Grounded Spirituality. I'll just. I don't think you have the book there. Do you have the book? No. no I just have a book I'll just there. hold the book up. That's the book. And then Andrew Harvey, who's been quite helpful and brilliant in my work, he wrote a book forward. So this is sort of a key paragraph, right? Yeah. So the ancient alchemical path has three stages. First, profound experience of transcendence that reveals divine identity. This makes obvious the truth of what's written in the Upanishads. You are that. Two, the patriarchal traditions have mistakenly taken this stage for enlightenment. And that's key, right? That is where they end. But the alchemists knew that this was only the first stage. Mm. The second stage is where the deep knowledge of the transcendent and the forces aroused by that knowledge are consciously integrated step by step with mind heart, soul, and crucially, and most importantly, the depths of the body. This second stage, as the second stage progresses, the third stage, which is called, quote, the simple thing, unquote, starts to emerge. And for this third stage, there are very few descriptions because very few people have truly matured in the mystery of profound union with all that this stage brings. Okay, so this is interesting, right? In this in this model, we've got three stages. We've got we've and and it starts. It's a it's a top down model actually. It starts with the transcendent. Right. It starts with profound experience of transcendence that reveals divine identity, right? Divine identity defined through the transcendent lens, rather than through the embodied experiential lens on this thing called divine identity. Yeah, all these terms are very relevant. And you're quite right. So Andrew is putting forth something that I resonated. What I resonated with is that he's saying, look, that thing's that thing is stage one, and they're all foolish enough to think that they're finished. Right. So that's I got that. 
you know, that's so much of my critical review work around this stuff. But you're right that what's different is he's starting from that experience of unity coming first and then dropping down, down, down into the body temple and then figuring out a way to weave that perspective, that point of access into this thing called your human experience. And then at some point reaching the stage, if you're one of the rare few, where you are now in the state of the simple thing. And I know what he means by that, even experientially, like where presence and purpose become the same thing, where you're, you're just here for all of it. There's no conflict between elements. You're not bifurcating consciousness. You're not fragmented, all of that. But I might disagree, and you're, you're quite brilliant to point it out, that what's going on going up first and then coming down for me, may not lead to the stage three simple thing. Because again, I come back to the feeling that, see, I don't, I don't really believe those unity consciousness experiences I had changed much of anything. They just gave me a place to go when I needed to get out of here. And that's fine. You know, it's, it's like doing drugs. And it's no accident that people who are going after this unified unity consciousness patriarchal experience are often people who also experimented with drugs. They're often, that's exactly who it happens to. Ram Dass did drugs and said, oh, now I found a new drug. Neem Karoli Baba, I found the new drug. It's no accident. So, because I'm not sure that having that access, that perspective did anything. I, I feel as though if I just stayed down here, which is hard at this stage of human development, I know why we need to get out and get relief, but I would just call it relief and never, ever call it awakening. Because I feel, though, if we stay in here and learn as a collective how to understand the way the emotional body works, how to understand that coming from survivalist roots, we are all mixed up and fragmented inside, unintegrated, not in touch with our authentic soul self and all the rest of that. If we just find a way to do the work in here, to get all of this cleaned out, cleared up, integrated, rooted, really present, make interactions safe, make political interface safe, make everything safe. Safety is key to this whole thing. Otherwise, we got to keep getting out. We can create safety relationally, really understand the sensitivity of the nervous system, what titration means, like really understand what we need to be actualized as an individual and as a collective. Then I feel like from that place, we move outward, not upward, maybe a little upward, but not much upward. We're not birds again, outward and downward, and then have an experience of a more unified consciousness, I guess. But it's got nothing like what happens in that stage one experience. We're not all smitten with it. Like we found this amazing toy that we don't want to let go of because we're already really here. We're already feeling the relief in the emotional body of functioning in our lives in a way that's not armored, defended, adapted, and disguised. We are already integrated and aligned as an organism. And so then as we access this notion of knowing that we're not all that, or, or we are all that, or whatever all that is, and, and let me just say, I have a problem with, I am that too. I understand I'm part of a whole system that ultimately works in a harmonious way. But I am not the tree. 
I am a human being with a particular story, with a soul, with a very particular encoded pathway of possibility, what I call soul scriptures and grounded and in soul shaping. And I am not a tree and I am not Govey Strauss. You have your own brilliant, magnificent, encoded pathway of possibility on a cellular level, level living inside of you. And so do I. And so I think I get why they want to be like I'm the tree and because they're trying to evaporate the experience of the painful self. But if you don't give up on the self, I haven't given up on us yet, despite all the fucked upness I've seen, then, you know, you're not so inclined to think that you are that, too. I know the feeling of I am that, too. I know what they're talking about. I've experienced it. You know, I can sit like Ajishanti and play that game, too, and call that enlightenment. But I think it's a big, fat cop out that masquerades as something profound. I think the real profound thing will happen when we get this human experience right. Yeah. Presence, presence as a whole being experience, and then how that funnels outward or inward from there. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting, right? Because in the in 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 the alchemical model, it's 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 the first stage. You're going to this transcendent place. You're getting uh, you're tapping into this divine identity, right? You are the soul. You are this. You are you are you're something transcendent, but 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 it's ironic just to say it, it's all fucked up because this whole system is filled with contradictions. Because what they're calling divine identity is really bereft of the localized self, the personal identified self. They're talking about the absolute soul, where you're now swimming in the oceanic soul experience with all the other souls. I am that too. In other words, you no longer really matter. Maybe it's that you are, your divine identity is that actually you're a soul in a body, right? Let's not say, let's not, let's not. Okay, you're a soul in a body. Let's not differentiate between what kind of body and, and all that yet. Okay. But let's just start with you're a soul in a body. So your true identity is this soul, is this divine identity. So what do you mean by divine identity? It's divine? If we just mean it's divine, then I'm with you. But we mean it's God? Well, that's You're that's a like, God seed in the making type of I, thing? I, well, I think, yeah. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm imagining that the soul in this translation is that the soul is kind of like a spark of that oneness it's like the life it's like the line of connection to that to what what if there's no god uh, great mystery is it's like the great mystery is different from an identifiable god yeah yeah well yeah uh, yeah well that's the thing we get into this language no no no, the language matters and let me just let me just try something So the reason I have a problem with this is I feel like we have all these languaged ways of shaming, shunning, and diminishing our humanness. And one of them is, for example, if something brilliant comes through somebody, they say it's channeled. Where the fuck is it channeled? If I write a great paragraph, I'm channeling it? What, I didn't fucking earn that fucking paragraph living in the school of heart knocks? No, I fucking earned that paragraph, okay? Now it's divine identity. So the most brilliant poignant, colorful moment that I have experientially in my consciousness suddenly becomes divine identity. 
It's another way for me of desacralizing the extraordinary brilliance of the human experience. I understand what you're talking about, believe me, but I still wonder why does it have to become divine identity? Are we just trying to say each of us is this beautiful spark of brilliance? Good. Why do we need to bring God into it? Okay. I I think the reason that is used, uh, I'm not saying that I... No, no. It's okay. The reason I I imagine it's used is because otherwise, given the way that we were raised and brought up inside the culture, that's, as you would not disagree, is totally fucked up, is totally... I would say in many ways is fucked up, but I would not say is totally fucked up. In many ways pathologize. creates in us a more constricted sense of self it doesn't it, it, it's like yeah. you know, right like my choices are between frost and flakes and 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 weed, yeah. yeah right these are where choice comes from this is my i totally get it seriousness and importance of my life is based on these stupid very banal decisions so it's created as a way to help the individual expand outside of the limited current perspective of their identity. So, right, and, right. Not, and not get wrapped up in the world and in. Right. And, I absolutely agree. So, where I agree, but differently, is that it's true we want to work on our personal, say, personal identifications, how we define ourselves. Has been limited by this condition, shaming, shunning, patriarchally manipulative structure. So I totally get in all the work that I did and wrote about in soul shaving. I my work was about differentiating my sense of self from the bullshit I had been told culturally and in my family about who I was. That's mm-hmm. been my work, exactly. but that doesn't mean that we get out of story altogether because that's the problem because for me, my story is my glory. So inside of that story, properly conceived, properly differentiated is actually my experience of what you're calling divine identity. And I, what I would call sacred identity, the sacredness. One of the reasons I, when I started to write about purpose, I started to call it sacred purpose is because everywhere they were all calling it divine purpose as though the most extraordinary thing that calls us had something to do with something outside of us. I'm like, no, 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 wait a minute. This is just another way we trivialize our humanness as though everything great is outside of the human container. No, there's a lot of greatness inside of every human container. And I think this matters. And, And so I started to call it sacred purpose. It was sacred. But I didn't have to attribute it to something called God because many people don't believe that God exists, but still we want them to believe that something profound and brilliant exists within them. Right. Absolutely. That's exactly it. And that's where the old model dealt with the same issue, but in a way that is not um, aligned with the new model, right? And, and, and well, I don't think it enreals us. I don't think it enreals right. us. Yeah, it, 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 differ, it, it bifurcates us. So how right. is that? It, it creates the necessity for this three-stage process. Right, right. Up, up and then down. figure out a way to bring it together. And if you do, you're in the simple thing, right? So I think that, you know, the, the, the brilliance of why this new model is a new model is, is because of exactly that, because of the way that it is representing the self, the story, the identity, the ego, all of it. And yeah, 
as, as sacred, as part of this sacred process of purpose, of sacred purpose. Or- well, and, and as the only place you could live from. So not that you're going to live from this limited, narrow idea of self that's been conditioned and beaten down into you and all the rest of that. No, but that you are going to find the glory of your reality inside of your Gabrielle Straussness, right? You don't need to name change. You know, sometimes people name change so they can get out of that prison and try to find another liberating experience. But ultimately, there's nothing that isn't beautiful about your Gabrielle Straussness. So for me, and the reason why the culture is now so trauma-centered, and I think this is important, is because I think at this stage of human development, for most people, sacred purpose is about clearing their emotional debris and experiencing their stuff as the grist for the soul bill, the transformative process. That, for me, is the stage rat on the soul-shaping journey. Very few people find their great calling inside of them to what they're going to bring to the world. For most of us right now, it's about clearing this thing up so we can really get here. So Tolle's version of getting here, which is there's some quote of his that I put in Grounded, where you're witnessing the pain body, witnessing it, and somehow that, that somehow becomes the transformative process. For me, is preposterous. It's like a surgeon just staring at a wound, but... And deciding that's as far as he has to go. He doesn't have to go in and suture it. For me, the real work has to happen inside of that traumatic container. We have to learn how to heal and honor the human experience. And not only because that'll clear enough debris for us to access our callings, we'll have access to it, but also because I think that emotional maturity and spiritual maturity are synonymous. So the bifurcated patriarchal model doesn't believe that spiritual maturity has nothing to do with integrity. Jeff has nothing to do with emotional maturity. It has nothing to do with how we behave in the world. It's like, Oh really? So you can be a complete ass and call yourself enlightened. That's convenient. That's convenient. So for me, really this selling your soul, C E L L your soul, this work we do inside of the soul and the physical body and the emotional body. This is the place we're at as a collective. And we need to do that work to reach the stage where we then can come into the alchemical place he's talking about, but not from up there, but from down here. Right, right. Yeah. And, and I think my sense is that this is very new, that this is happening, that people are doing this, right? That this, this, this kind of bottom-up type of work and being able to, to, to metabolize the personal traumas and yeah. then getting into the ancestral and collective traumas is, is very new work. It's not work that our parents knew. Oh, how they were in a survivalist yeah. construct. Totally. Right. Long survivalist construct. Right. It's remarkable what's going on right now. And of course the pandemic is pushing people so far up against their stuff that now they're realizing they have no choice but to do the work. So this is the, you know, not to glorify the pandemic, but I think that's what's happening. And also the movement towards understanding that talk therapy was simply not an adequate structure for the deeper levels of transformation that has to happen. That's why somatic experiencing is taking root. And now bioenergetics and core energetics are coming more back to life. They Back in the old days, they were you know a small and brilliant and rarefied group of people would engage in them, maybe privileged, we would say, bioenergetics and core energetics. But now we're starting to see what's happening. People are, it's, it's integrating into the mainstream. And this is utterly essential if we're going to save our species. Because if we're all bunged up with unresolves, the last thing we're going to be doing is trying to do anything to fix anything. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. that's, and that's also like the basis for the work 
that I'm doing with people is, is this necessity to bring the therapeutic work, the shadow work, the emotional work into the spiritual realm, right? Mm-hmm. I think it is the spiritual realm it is the spiritual. Realm. That's exactly. the diff- That's the shift. It, that, that's the spiritual realm. There exactly. is no spiritual realm that exists independent of your human experience. It's, it's preposterous. But prior to what we're discussing here, yep. the, the emotional therapeutic realm was separate. Yep. It wasn't considered spiritual. It was, it was scientific or it was outside of the spiritual. Or it had to do with feelings, nothing more than feelings, which had nothing to do with enlightenment. So preposterous. And it's true. Based on that model, these things have nothing to do with that bullshit version of enlightenment. It's absolutely true. And this is where we can bring in this this quote, uh, also from Grounded, forty one, page forty one, where you're discussing the, this stuff with Ram Das, right? Because Ram Das quote, he was acutely concerned that our tendency to wallow in the psychological would inhibit our spiritual progress. So let's reframe that. Richard's Ram Dass is Richard Alpert's. His name was real. Name was Richard Alpert. His tendency to wallow in the psychological would inhibit his experience of this thing he was calling the spiritual. In other words, he loved that wonderful feeling of relief he was getting, and he didn't want to go anywhere near the part of him that thought it was important to work on his issues. Fair enough. <laughs> um, I agree. I'm going to continue reading. I yeah, agree. Okay, sorry. It's a fine line between self-pity and healthy working through of the material. I said, at the time, we cannot shape our soul to the next stage if we don't deal with our psychological material. Not identifying ourselves as our stuff as our stuff, but identifying our stuff as key to our transformation. Mm. What else grows us up? What else grows from the ground up? And I think I, that's what I, I, I emphasize, not identifying ourselves as our stuff, because that's that. I mean, that's what he's saying here. The, 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 his, you know, whatever his stuff is aside, the concern is our tendency to, to, wallow in the psychological or or to just identify as that right so there's i th- i think there's a there's a valid concern in that regard because i think i you know that was i mean for me that was my one of my biggest fears way back when right was like oh if i if i dig too deep into the i'll never get out Psychological, I'll never get out. I'll be confined by this and I'll just be swimming around in circles. No, maybe so, maybe not. Maybe I would have found a great therapist that helped me, you know. But at the time, it was separate from spirituality. So it was like just getting kind of locked up in that. And so for me personally, it was actually the the touching of that place of going to the transcendent held an anchor to be able to come in and do do this psychological emotional work without getting consumed by it because you knew you could go somewhere for relief well because i knew that there was something else i knew that there was i knew that yeah okay um there was something bigger than just the me 
that there was something bigger going on. Well, that's an interesting thing. We could spend a couple hours on just that question. Is there something bigger than the me? That's I, I understand exactly what you're what you're describing experientially. Yes. Well, I think I mean, I, I, I imagine that when I say bigger than the me, it's like. What is the purpose of the sacred purpose? Like what, what, you know, to move our material, to clear debris. And then to, and then to uncover somewhere in the heart of it, why we're here. If you believe that everybody comes in with an encoded path and I do. Yes. And, and there, there, it may be at this stage of human development, that purpose is to do that work because that's where we are as a collective. And that is beautiful and brilliant and all those things. So this whole thing about victimhood, stuck in your victimhood or stuck in your stuff, and this is a cultural problem. I mean, there's two things. There are people who have been so trampled by reality that to tell them that they're stuck in their victimhood when they can't heal themselves is absolutely shaming, disrespectful, and ridiculous. They clearly, anyone who's saying that either is in denial about their trauma or they don't know what real trauma is. But as a collective, I think it is a concern that we open the door and can't get through it and transform because we haven't normalized trauma speak and we haven't really, really come to understand and develop techniques that will allow people to get out of talking about it and actually get inside of their bodies and heal it. And we're starting to do that now. So now there's going to be more collective opportunities for people to actually heal and to move beyond a place of, say, frozenness or stagnation or locked inside of, because now they'll have modalities, methods, approaches that could allow them to actually heal to the point where they no longer feel stuck inside of that. But I don't feel as though people trapped in their victimhood. I feel as though that's just a new cage self-denial practice, just another one. I think everybody on the planet has been victimized in one way or another. In survivalist consciousness, you need to put that away and keep pushing. In authentic consciousness, you want to acknowledge it, excavate it, embrace it, and do the work. And Ram Dass's story is a whole different one. Ram Dass was a classic spiritual bypasser. That conversation happened as part of two days of my telling him he's a spiritual bypasser and pushing up against me for two days. And at the end of it, his last words were, you're right, Jeff, I am a spiritual bypasser. He really thought his name was Ram Dass, which is ridiculous. His name was Richard Alpert. And so, you know, the whole thing around him was set up as lovely and brilliant as he was. He was bifurcated. You know, he really thought he was. And then the, his the stroke and the body brought him back down into an experience of his heart and his body. And, and in, by his own admission, made him more integrated, but not necessarily more able or willing to do the deeper work around his early life trauma. So, you know, I mean, he's, he's not a symbol for me of somebody who had it all figured out. He's a symbol, symbol for me of somebody who explored the Eastern approach brought that brilliance and wisdom and be here now, which was one of the most brilliant things I ever read back to the West. And now ultimately we're realizing that it doesn't really change much. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, so, so, so bigger than me, I want to go back to that. Yeah, sure. Sure. What is, yeah. What are we, what does that mean? Bigger than you? Well, I think it's, it's trying to bring in this, this understanding of where we're going. Like where, where we're going as a collective, right? Like just like I like yeah, as as a collective, as a planet, as a species, right? Like if we brought we brought in where we're going with with the uh, with the old model, it was this very fucked up place where no one cared about anything and with the destruction of the world, and we're just sitting meditating because it's all one. Yeah, okay. where where Trump and Tole are the same person. They're completely focused on mastery, masturbation. You know, completely unaware of the effects of the emotional body on the planet we live in. I totally get that. 
Right. So where? So then, bringing the same question to the grounded model, where uh, where are we going? Like, what's that's when I say bigger than me. It's like there's. I guess this this is getting into these bigger topics of like. It's okay. Is there? Is there? Is there, you know, when we talk about synchronicity, when we talk about the synchronicities of your life, there's a, is there a force of some sort that's guiding this evolution toward something, right? That's what I mean by bigger than. It's not just, yeah. I am part of something and me doing my work, me clearing my emotional debris, integrating myself, healing so that I can relate to my kids and my wife better so that they can relate to the world and to their their relationships better is moving towards something it's it's purposeful right so i guess that's that's where the i think i'm just identifying that i totally understand so i feel as though that's probably true or could be true if we choose do the right things to make it true as a collective but I still come back. So if I think about synchronicity as one example, an indication of something bigger than I don't really know. I've had remarkable synchronistic experiences. If I describe them to people, they think I was crazy, but they happened. And, and many people have. So that I saw as an indication that there is something more going on here. I would used to say, oh, they're busy with me right now. They're busy with me, whoever they were. I don't even know. It might have been me that was busy with me by getting into a different vibratory field relationally and then having different access points and then summoning different things energetically. I don't know. Again, I come back to the work we need to do within the individual self, not because I'm trying to bypass the question of how the hell do we understand those synchronicities, but because I think our best access point to answering those questions and make sense making, as Virginia Satir used to say, making sense of what the hell is going on here will not happen until we get this thing right. Because if I'm in a fragmented consciousness, grabbing onto a synchronicity is a sign there's something better, there's something great. That's not the same as reaching a stage on an evolutionary level where I'm whole, integrated, grounded, present in my heart, relationally authentic, all those things. And then ask the question, what does all this mean? I don't think we're in a state where we can answer the question of what all these things mean until we get this right. And that really is probably the essence of my whole perspective right yeah. there. Every, yeah. These people are all having these little peak experience moments or something, these glimpses into something. And then they're thinking they now they're forming a whole system of perspective. And I'm like, wait a minute, you need to be living in this place as a way of being. And then you're going to understand what's going on down here in a whole different way than we have to this stage. Yeah. And that's what I was when I was looking at, you know, parsing through all of this material, I was starting to 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 uncover like sort of stages of, of this work. Mm, There's great. sacred purpose. And sacred purpose is is first and foremost fundamentally for everyone the same, which is heal your trauma, unpack your stuff, become an emotionally healthy individual. Be, re, be reach the stage where you're really, and the purpose of that work is to reach the stage where you're really here. Yes. Not in your defenses, not in your shallow breath, not in your armor, not in your tightened hips because you defended against early experience, where you're really here. And then from that place of really here, you will have much more clarity as to why you're here. 
Right. That's it. That that would be the sort of second stage of purpose, which is then the innate image. The stuff starts to reveal. So, right. So, so, right. You get glimpses of directionality when you reach a certain stage of integration. So the reason I know this is because for whatever reason, and I don't know the reason, I had very clear glimpses. I was going to work with Eddie Greenspan in criminal law. I was going to study psychology and I was going to write. I had many glimpses and I was not looking for glimpses. I was a pragmatic, mouthy Jewish you know, kid. I mean, it was this stuff was there, though. I would see Eddie on television and go, I know that man. I'm going to work with that man one day. And I was not a spiritual floaty guy at all. I was earthbound, hardcore earthbound, super Virgoic. And that's what I saw. And so that's what tells me everybody's got it in them. Everybody's got some encoded pathway of possibility. And the first stage for me, and it's always a stage, but the first primary stage was working on my emotional body because I could only glimpse things, but I couldn't hold on to them. It's because my stuff got in the way. My patterns got in the way. Dealing with a survivalist world and the marketplace, having to become a salesperson got in the way putting a lawyer face, got in the way, all these different things, misidentifications, healthy adaptations so I could survive, right? We don't want to insult them. We needed them, but I couldn't get access and stay there. So the more work I did, the more I could become the writer. So it's no accident that at the end of two weeks of release work at Harbin Hot Springs in California, I knew it was time to write. I released, I smashed the ground, I moved my anger, I cried for days, so much stuff. And then it was like, okay, next stage, here we are, here's the next stage. So I just believe from my experience that that's the way it goes. And I know why very few people have that experience of reaching the stage of the calling, the gift, the offering, because they're still all bunked up with all the unresolved material. And the patriarchal spiritual model isn't helping, it's actually making it worse because they're spending years and years on a drug trip without doing any work to actually heal and transform their consciousness. It's dangerous, right? That's why I critically review it, because it's dangerous. And it's so well protected. It's the only area in society, if you start critically reviewing Eckhart Tolle, they go, I can't believe you're critically reviewing his teachings. Why can't you just be non-judgmental? The whole thing is set up to protect the guru's bullshit. You're allowed to critique politics, legal decisions, everything. We're totally cool with free speech, but not spirituality. It's some sacred holy cow thing or something. And as a result, we have billions of people that are completely dissociated thinking that they're on an awakening path. And so we lose all that firepower that we need in order to actually fix our species. Yeah. Yeah. So so a couple more questions. So if we follow that, like first do this emotional healing work, uh, gain an emotional maturity, which equals spiritual maturity. Then once you've cleared that you're in the body, you're present then is revealed to you why you are actually here. You're a, a deeper layer of more unique sacred purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More, a more individuated path reveals itself to you. Yes. And then is there a place for this touching the place? The, the, well, that, well, that is the place. Maybe that's the place. An example. So when I can reach the most clarified place with respect to my calling to write as one example, That calling, that experience of purpose is my portal to presence. That brings me right into the moment. Then in that experience of presence, that portals me back to my purpose. And I don't know of a richer place for my consciousness to be. I am connected, of course, to an awareness that I'm part of this whole harmonious and sometimes not harmonious system. I'm not unaware of that. I'm feeling that. I'm 
I'm finding language somewhere there. I'm expressing language into there. It's all there. Mm -hmm. So this notion of enlightenment is the separate thing. It's like, to me, you know, I call it an realment, but we can call it whatever we want to call it. For me, that place is the place of all of it. But it's coming really through the portal of the calling itself. Yeah, because then... So I'm not trying to say that I don't want to go these places. I'm saying that's that place. But it's a way more real version well, because of that place. Then, yes, because then all of the layers are integrated. And that's how I translate what you're saying. You feel your feet. Are you, integrated and you're, present. And you're taking it all seriously. You're taking it all seriously. Everything in that place is serious. It's, it's not like something isn't relevant. Every element in realment, every element of your reality is part of the spiritual field. You know, what does it mean to be here? The way they talked about being here in the patriarchal model is they had perfected a singular thread of consciousness and they had completely omitted everything they didn't want to have to deal with, right? So they end up like Tole, just sort of like an automaton who's a really damn good meditator. And should just be teaching meditation. He should never call himself enlightened. That's when we have a problem. Just, I'm a good meditation teacher. And for those of you who need it, it'll benefit you to come into balance to do some meditation. No issue with that. That's the problem. So that what we're talking about now is being here through, and, and in many ways, those people have given up on that because their trauma maybe was so much or they didn't have proper tools or economic capacity to get help or whatever it was. You know, privilege plays a role in all of this, you know. But really, for me, the idea is that we just get here for all of it. We activate all of it. And through the portal of all of it, then we have clarity as to what all of this is about. Great. Great. Yeah. No, good, Gov. We're, we're getting right in it. This is really, you're bringing it up, you're pushing it out. It's great. Within that, and we talked about this on the phone the other day, um, what's the place for relief? Is there a place? Yeah, but it's a conscious process. It's like armoring becomes conscious. I call it conscious armoring. So you don't armor and adapt your consciousness as a way of being. You notice the difference. You go, oh, I need to put on my armor right now to deal with this part of the world. I got to go deal with my crazy family. So maybe you, you decide to armor up. You got to go to the workplace and deal with an annoying boss. I mean, we're living in reality, but it becomes a conscious process, not a way of being. So when you come home, you go, okay. So when I used to sell windows door to door, in the weekends. I used to go to the Johnny on the job to take a leak in the morning. And I would have a conversation with what I called my soul self. This really happened. And if you walked by, you would have heard me talking to myself in a Johnny on the job. And I would say, listen, soul self, I'm sorry, I got to go right now. I got to go put on my sales face. And but when I'm done at the end of the weekend, after I come down from all that intensity and a hyperactive focus and all that, I'm going to come back and re get reacquainted with you. And, and that's what I would do. Usually Monday afternoon, late Monday, it would happen. So same thing happens with relief pathways. You go, I need to get up and out of here. It's too hard and dense here right now. I'm going out. I'm going up and out. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to float away. I need whatever fucking drug trip that doesn't destroy your body you need. I'm a re realist. We, we, you know, I don't want people struggling masochistically down on this. As we find our way through to the more integrated whole place, we need pathways of relief. Just don't stop there and don't call that enlightenment. Just yeah. call it a place you go to give you some relief yeah. and some perspective. You can get perspective, right? Yeah. Here's one more question. How, how would we differentiate between 
a model that is given over to those who have yet to kind of bypass and go out and do the kind of off out of the world thing versus those who have already in that kind of thing, right? Like it's kind of almost like Andrew, like the, the, the alchemical model is for those who've already are in the bypass. They've already kind of gone the old route and that this new model is, is a model like that can be delivered for those who have not yet kind of gone, gone that direction. Well, I mean, I think you, I think you co-create the model and some of the bypassers, when they come crashing back to earth, will now have a place to go. They haven't had a place to go. They call it the matrix. It's incredibly uncomfortable. They're sensitive to the manipulative nature of society, the way patriarchal corporate structures operate, all that. And they don't want to come down here. So we have to create models, templates that make them feel like there's some refuge some acceptance of the challenges of the human experience and some place of comfort. And then they'll come if they can come. And in that regard, the bypass becomes a stage. Bypass becomes a stage in the process. For them, for them, for them. I mean, ultimately, right. I mean, ultimately I would like to see us craft a world where we don't need to bypass in order to stay alive. I mean, that's... Well, hey, that's not where we're at. No, it's not where we're at. So bypassing becomes a conscious maneuver, a step you choose to take, realizing that it's not all that, but that it's maybe a necessary stage for perspective making, for relief on your path at various stages. I mean, listen, you would, you would agree, I would even agree, at certain stages, if we didn't have the option of the bypass, we might have perished, you know, one way or the other with self-destructive actions, who knows what people do. But so it's important that we have all these capacities and defenses. I mean, by spiritual bypassing is a defense against feeling really, that's essentially what it is. And so we need them, but we just want to stop calling it the ultimate Brahmin path because then people start to think and feel, and I think they're wrong to feel this way that being down on earth with the rest of us is necessarily this poisonous experience. I don't believe it has to be that. And yes, I realize we have a lot of work to do in a privileged world to get it to the place where there is a true inclusivity of access to the experience of wholeness that we're talking about. There's a couple of white guys talking about this and we've had our challenges, but I think this is also a big part of it. The activism work that's happening is about trying to create a world where every single brilliant human being has access to an experience of wholeness and peace with path. And that's why all that noise they're making is fantastic. It's fantastic. Right. Yeah. And it makes me feel safer in the world because they're moving us in the direction of, we're talking about individual inclusivity, like all the parts of you being accepted, embraced and integrated. But we also need to talk about inclusivity on a gender, racial, ethnic, religious level as well, because it's the same at the end of the day, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, if we're not embracing all of them, we're not embracing all of us. That that brings us to to, to collective trauma, which you know we maybe we'll pick up on the next. Yeah, um, let's do that. Yeah, that'd be great to talk about that. Great, because that's like 
in the way I envision it, it's like the the like the stream of water underneath the surface. Hundred percent that is toxic. That there's no way to we're, everything we have here is built upon a foundation of, of trauma. And how are we gonna you know? How is the model integrating that? How is the model acknowledging and giving practices to metabolize? that collective trauma because hundred percent in order to, to yeah. bring uh, uh, and and what has to happen politically legally with respect to for example rule of law to create the kind of a structure that doesn't perpetuate the experience of collective trauma where everybody's welcome everybody has the same set of very reasonable natural rights you know the the true embracing of a charter of rights and freedoms like all of those things are hugely relevant so that we can eventually, generationally, start to relax and experience reality as a safe place to be. Because if we're carrying forward, for example, even poverty consciousness from our Jewish roots, it's very hard to really be at peace with path and move to the next stage on an evolutionary scale or level, because we're still trapped in the feeling that they're going to come and take it all away from us. So that there's so many individual work and sociological components to this that have to mirror each other you know otherwise you're just somebody doing brilliant work inside of yourself and then you walk into a completely unfair and unreasonable world and you know bernie saunders is you know he's a bit of an angry guy but he's a brilliant dignitarian he really understands that if you don't grant people their dignity there's no possibility for evolution individually or collectively and he is 100 million percent right about that if everybody doesn't get a fair shot at a dignified life we are just going to self-destruct as a species yeah and there's the 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 path to getting there is like huge it's a war it's a war between a survivalist consciousness and a more integrated inclusive authentic consciousness it's so great coffee maybe we should stop there this is um we covered a lot of ground (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we did. as we do as we do so anyone who's interested in working with govy check him out at govrielstrauss.com and you can check out my stuff at jeffbrown.co i got a lot of download courses books things like that and um we'll pick up where we left off next time yeah all around me but I'm so glad it found me over the moon and through stars hell's come straight for my heart